great to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be here. We have uh, been here all weekend. We've been doing a Becoming One conference, and, and I just want to thank Pastor Stovall, Carrie, your wonderful staff for just hosting us here. And, and I want you to know that you guys as a church, you support Marriage Day. You're so generous with us. And so we had a live audience this weekend, uh, not just your church, but we had churches in 30 states and 10 countries that joined us. In fact, they're joining us again this morning. Uh, over 20,000 people in a live audience this weekend. Over 10,000 marriages. Somebody give the Lord a hand on that. And, but... I love being a part of, uh, of this church. I love your pastor. He's one of my dear friends. I respect him so much. And so it's just great being here. And let me also welcome, I know there are not a lot of other campuses that are joining us now. Thank you guys for being a part. We just are so glad that you're joining us. I want to talk to you this morning about marriage. If you have your Bibles there, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. And this is actually the last message uh, in the conference this weekend. Uh, the conference is called Becoming One. We're talking about the issue of intimacy in marriage and how to have intimacy the way that, that God designed it. Um, you know, you need to work on your marriage. I know that's what we're doing here right now, and that's what we were doing at the conference. But if you don't work at your marriage, you can have problems. And I want to read you a story here about a couple. They had some problems uh, in their marriage, and you want to avoid things like this. Uh, Stumpy is the man's name, and the, Martha is his wife's name. Stumpy and his wife, Martha went to the state fair every year, and every year Stumpy would say, Martha, I'd like to ride in that there airplane. And every year Martha would say, I know Stumpy, but that airplane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. One year Stumpy and Martha went to the fair, and Stumpy said, Martha, I'm 71 years old. If I don't ride that airplane this year, I may never get another chance. And Martha replied, Stumpy, that there airplane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. The pilot overheard them and said, folks, I'll make you a deal. I'll take you both up for a ride. If you can stay quiet for the entire ride and not say one word, I won't charge you. But if you say one word, it's $10. Stumpy and Martha agreed, and they went up. The pilot did all kinds of twists and turns, rolls and dives, but not a word was heard. He did all of his tricks over again, but still not a word. They landed, and the pilot turned to Stumpy and said, By golly, I did everything I could do to get you to yell out, but you didn't. And Stumpy replied, Well, I was going to say something when Martha fell out. But $10 is $10. <laughs> I think he was kind of ready to get rid of her anyway. You know, it kind of, kind of worked out good for him. So you don't want to have those kind of marriage problems. This message today is called Becoming One's Soul. I want to talk to you how, about how to be married to your soulmate. That's something, you know, God wants you to be married to your soulmate. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But God's desire for you is for you to be soulmates with your spouse for the rest of your life. And if you're not married, for you to find and marry your soulmate. I think it's important. But the way that we do it is very important because there's so much misinformation and deception today in the world about everything, but especially marriage and romance and things like that. In Luke chapter 10, where I ask you to turn there, this is, this is a man asking Jesus a question. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. 
So this man comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, what's the most important commandment? Jesus said, what do you think it is? How do you, how do you read the Bible? Because this was not a lawyer as in court. This was a lawyer as in the Bible. He was a Pharisee. And he was coming to test Jesus. And Jesus said, well, how do you read the Bible? And he said, well, I think the most important commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Did you know that love flows out of four areas of our lives? It's not just an emotional thing. I mean, let me say it to you another way. Did you know the number one reason God created your mind was to love him? The number one reason that God created your body was to love him? The number one reason that God created your soul, which is your will and your emotions, is to love him? And the number one reason that God created your spirit was to love him. The man said to Jesus, I believe the most important commandment in the Bible is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said, you're right, do that and you'll live. When we are married, there are four components of our lives together, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our heart is our spirit. Our our soul is our will and emotions. And then we have our body and we have our minds. Becoming one means you become one on all four of those levels. Intimacy is not just a physical thing. Intimacy is not just an emotional thing. It's a spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental experience that really flows out of our wills. And so I want to talk to you about how to become uh, soulmates and how to have one soul to experience intimacy on that level. And I know that some of you, how many of you came to our conference this weekend? Anybody? A lot of you came to our conference. So if you came to the conference, uh, Nancy Houston was speaking at the conference on becoming one flesh. She's a sex expert and she talked on physical intimacy. Dr. Caroline Leaf talked about mental intimacy, becoming one mind. She's an expert in the brain. And I talked on Friday evening about becoming one heart or becoming one spirit. And all of those messages, I believe they're available in your bookstore, but they're also available on marriagetoday.com if you want to hear all of them. But I want to talk about becoming soulmates. And in beginning my message, I want to say my wife Karen and I have been married for 41 years. And um, she's my soulmate. I I married my soulmate. And so after 41 years of marriage and 32 years of marriage counseling, I I really do believe that I understand (laughs) you know, the, this issue. Uh, and I've done it wrong, by the way, but I believe I understand this issue. But I want to talk to you about our relationship because I married my soulmate. And I just kind of want to tell you our story to kind of set up the rest of what I'm going to say. Karen and I met, we actually went to elementary and junior high together, but we didn't know each other. We had a huge class. Uh, we had 770 in our graduating class because we were baby boomers. So we met in biology class in high school. Literally, it's the first time I saw her. And we were in an annex building because we were baby boomers. We always had to have annex buildings next to the school to for, provide additional classrooms. So we were in an annex building. And so when I walked into class every day, Karen, my wife, she was dating some jerk senior. And uh, she would be standing on the steps of the annex building wearing his letter jacket. It just made me sick. And so, but I sat behind her in class. I just thought she was beautiful. And I thought, if I can run this guy off, I'm going to ask her out. So finally they stopped, you know, and she, she claims that they weren't dating, but she's lying about it. And, uh, but finally they kind of broke up and I asked her out and our first date was to a three dog night concert. Eli's coming. Anybody remember three dog night? That's an age test right there. Okay. So that was a band way back when we went to a three dog night concert and we, we date, we dated and fell in love, you know, and, and, and that was great. Um, I had friends, I had a lot of friends and they came before Karen. I told Karen, don't, don't come between me and my friends they are more important than you. Um, I was immoral. I wasn't faithful to Karen. 
uh, we broke up and went back together, you know, off and on and had a real rocky time of dating, a real, real, real rocky time of dating. I never proposed to Karen and I never asked for her hand in marriage. I didn't know you're supposed to do that. I, it, it embarrasses me. When I look back on how we dated and married, I didn't know you were supposed to propose. And I, I see guys now who just find this wonderful place and, you know, give her an engagement ring and, you know, on the top of the Eiffel Tower while releasing a thousand doves with a children's choir singing, you know. And I, I see that kind of thing today. It embarrasses me. When I see it, it embarrasses me because I just think, I, I never knew you were supposed to do anything like that. I mean, I don't even know how we got married. We just kind of talked about it. And I didn't know I was supposed to go to her dad and ask for a hand in marriage, which I'm actually glad for because he hated my guts. And he would have said no. And so we, uh, you know, we ended up getting married. Uh, I bought Karen a, I worked at Scrub-A-Dub Car Wash uh, while we were dating. And uh, so I didn't have a, a real big income. And this is actually the ring that I bought Karen. Uh, this was her wedding ring when we got married. Now it's mine now because I lost mine playing golf. I bought her a nice one and she gave me this one. So um, a week before we got married, I had a bachelor party. My friends, we were very ungodly. Um, and uh, my friends gave me a bachelor party. And they said, Evans, what do you want to do at your bachelor party? And I said, well, let's make it clean. Let's just get drunk and play poker. And uh, let's just have a good, clean Christian bachelor party. You know, that's really, and <laughs> so we got drunk, we played poker, and then the girls came. And, uh, and I was unfaithful to Karen at my bachelor party. And I never had a conscience. You know, I was a, I was a very, very good sinner. I woke up in the morning thinking about the sins I wanted to commit, and I, I was almost always successful. And um, after a good day of sin, I just felt great about it. I just, I never felt bad. I didn't have a conscience. Now, Karen's mother was a Christian, and she had a Bible study praying that we wouldn't get married. And uh, so all these women in this Bible study were praying that we wouldn't get married. And so, now I didn't, I didn't know it, but I hated her parents. So, you know, I said they hated me. And so that, so Karen's parents brought boys over to meet Karen while I was there. That's kind of when you get the hint that they don't like you. So I would be sitting in their house and here came the boys and they would say, Karen, here's a real nice young man. I was just thinking like, I'm here, you know, I mean, at least. so we, uh, after our, my bachelor party, I woke up the next morning and I looked in the mirror and for the first time, I felt bad about what I had done. And I'd heard the gospel, but I just never responded to it. And I looked at myself in the mirror, and I just thought, I don't respect you, what, what you did last night, what you did to Karen. Because Karen was a, was, had just become a Christian and was seeking the Lord. And I stood in that bathroom, uh, my, my friend's house, and I stood in the bathroom there, and I said that morning, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I'll never turn back. It wasn't an emotional thing, and I, I, I knew that Karen wouldn't marry me once she found out what I had done. But it wasn't about Karen. I didn't receive Christ because of Karen. I received Christ because sin lied to me. I was a very good sinner, and I had sinned a lot. I had done just about anything you can think of. And I would go to a party, you know, a party in college, you know, a fraternity party or something, and I'd do everything that you would think would make you happy. And I'd be in the, I was popular, I had a lot of friends, and I would come home and lay in bed, and as soon as I got alone, I was lonely. I didn't, I didn't feel happy on the inside. I had to have all these external things in my life to make me happy, and as soon as they went away, I wasn't happy, and sin lied to me. 
And instantly, when I invited Jesus into my heart, he filled a place in my life, that instant, in that bathroom that had never been filled before. And 41 years later, he's still filling that place in my life. I tried everything else. And when I prayed that prayer and said, Jesus, come into my life, immediately I heard the voice of God say, never see your friends again. I had 10 best friends that I'd had since elementary school. We were inseparable. And uh, I was the captain of our baseball team. Uh, that afternoon, we had baseball practice. And I went to our baseball practice. I took everything out of the trunk of my car, laid it on the sidewalk. My friends came around celebrating the night before. Wasn't last night great? And I said, no, last night wasn't great. And uh, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going I'm to live my life for the Lord. And when I said that, they started cursing at me. And uh, what the blank do you think you're doing? And blank, blank, blank. And I said, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore, guys. Just somebody else to be the captain of the team. And I drove off. That's the last time I saw my friends. I went over to Karen's house and I told her what I had done. And she slammed the door in my face and told me she wouldn't marry me. And uh, I drove away and I thought, well, and I loved her. And I thought, well, I, I deserve that. I don't deserve a woman as good as she is. And I went home and I didn't have a friend and I didn't have a girlfriend. I just had Jesus, but he was enough. And I sat home for a couple of days by myself and Karen called and she said, well, I heard that you gave your life to the Lord and you won't see your friends anymore. And so I said, that's right. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm dedicated to the Lord and I understand what you did and I, I agree with it. And, but we talked and she said, well, you know, if you gave your life to the Lord, you mean it. You know, I want to get married to you. So we, we, a few days later, we got married. We got, we had a destination wedding at Karen's parents' house. And uh, <laughs> it was as rom romantic as our dating experience had been. So, and it was so awkward at our wedding because all those women that had been praying against us were the ones putting on the wedding. And I hated Karen's parents. I'd only been a Christian for a few days. I didn't know it was wrong to hate. So I just went ahead and hated them at that point. So I... I hated them. I hated their guts. And they hated me. So we're all glaring at each other. And so we get married. We go on our honeymoon to Colorado Springs. It's awkward. You know, it's not really very good because, you know, of the things that I had done. And Karen was still emotionally dealing with that. And we went home early from our honeymoon, you know, because of all that. And we came home and, and uh, I was a terrible husband. And several years later, we were on the brink of divorce. Anybody encouraged yet? And I married my soulmate. And I hear bubbles popping. Because everybody thinks if you marry your soulmate, it means this and this and this. I want to talk to you about three major myths concerning soulmates. And these are myths that so many people in our culture believe and so many of us believe and I believed. But I want to talk to you about the dangerous soulmate myths that you have to get rid of before you can be soulmates. Number one, my soulmate will be just like me. This is myth number one. If I marry my perfect soulmate, they're going to be just like me. In fact, we're just, we're going to think the same thing. We're, we're, we're just going to sit around all day. We'll just be giggling because we don't even have to tell jokes. We already know what they are. <laughs> we're going to want to do the same thing at the same time every day, all day long. They're going to be just like me. See, understand this. If you marry someone, if you marry your perfect soulmate, they're not like you at all. Compatibility is based on values and character and faith and things like that, not sameness. And part of the danger right now is, and, and online dating is fine. I mean, I know people who have dated and married very successfully online, but the danger, and you see these ads on TV, it says, we're going to, you're going to match you in all 17,000 categories. 
And, and, and you think to yourself, if we match, if, we, if, if I find a match in all these categories, that means I'm going to marry my soulmate, they're going to be just like me. If you match in all the categories, you're going to marry someone and you're going to marry them and realize they have different needs, they have different natures, they have different perspectives, they have different opinions. And if you're compatible, it means you're compatible in Christ and you're compatible based on your values, your culture, and your character. But don't ever confuse compatibility with sameness. You're not the same. But the devil needs you to believe that your soulmate is just like you because when you get married and realize they're not like you, you'll think, think you made a mistake and be miserable the rest of your life. But Karen, I loved Karen. We got married. I was, I was just completely ignorant about women. I, I have two older brothers, Damien and Lucifer. I didn't grow, around, grow up around girls. <laughs> and when, when I married Karen, I just thought she's the most beautiful woman in the world, but she's the weirdest person on earth. And because she wasn't like me, I'm, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm the epicenter of normal. And uh, anyone like me is normal, anyone not like me is not normal. So she wasn't like me, so she wasn't normal. And I felt like I've got to train her in how to be normal. And then I realized she doesn't train well. (laughs) So I was in a real pickle. Number two, myth about soulmates. If I marry my soulmate, we won't have any big problems and we'll always be in love. We won't have any big problems. In, In fact, if we're having big problems, it just means I didn't marry my soulmate. See, Karen and I, I remember the fight we had. I remember the house we lived in. I remember where I was standing in the house. And we were fighting all the time, a couple years after we got married. And she walked out of the room. And the thought came into my mind. I made a mistake. And I knew the girl I should have married. A girl from high school. This thought came into my mind. I made a mistake. See, the devil needs you to believe these things. So he can destroy your marriage. We won't have any big problems. If you marry your perfect soulmate, you're going to have problems you have to work through. You're going to have to deal with issues. You're not going to be the same. There's going to be challenges that come in your relationship. But if you believe, if I marry my perfect soulmate, I won't have to work at this and we're not going to have any big problems. He's going to break your heart. See, the number one reason for divorce is disappointment. We come in with wrong expectations and we just get our hearts broken. There's nothing really wrong. We married a different person, you know, by God's design. Our our differences are supposed to be dynamic, not dangerous. When we're married properly, our differences make our marriage better. But when you think your spouse is supposed to be just like you, you begin to reject them and browbeat them and think you made a mistake. Then you begin to have problems and you're convinced, I didn't marry my soulmate. I want you to listen to me. Soulmates are not born. They're made in the trenches of life. You go through hell together and you wake up one day and you're best friends. Don't you listen to the devil. I remember when I was standing in the kitchen of our house and we were fighting and Karen walked out of the room and the devil said to me, you made a mistake. I was set up for failure. And see, when you believe that, you just stop trying or even start leaning out of the marriage. Number, number three myth about soulmates is my soulmate will always make me happy and meet all of my needs. Only God can truly make us happy and meet our deepest needs. Our soulmate is a part of the happiness of our lives sometimes. Some, sometimes they're a part of our grief. You know what I mean? It, no person can always make me happy. See, Jesus Christ in my life can make me happy regardless of what you're doing to me. I can be happy in God when I'm not happy with anybody else. Jesus gives me an internal, eternal, stable happiness, and he meets my most important needs all the time. He is the only truly reliable person you'll ever be in a relationship with. It's the truth. It's the truth. 
Sometimes people are doing exactly what we want them to do and we're happy. Sometimes they're not and we're not happy, but I can be happy in Jesus. But to believe, and let me just read you, this is encapsulated, the soulmate myth, the three soulmate myths that I just talked about. Here it is in an encapsulated form. When I marry my soulmate, they will be just like me. I'll always be happy, have all of my needs met. We won't have any big, big problems and we'll always be in love. And I want you to consider that bubble popped. It'll set you up for heartbreak for the rest of your life and for failed relationships. Let me tell you the three choices that create soulmates. It's choice-based. It's not emotion-based. It's choice-based. Remember, the soul is the seat of your will and of your emotions. Another way to say soulmate is willmate. I will myself to become one soul with you. And that's the good news. If, you, if you've made every mistake, when you hear our story, you're hearing the story of two people who did everything wrong and were on the brink of divorce. And now all these years later, we're affecting marriages all over the world and we have a, a wonderful marriage. We're soulmates. And the reason I love telling our story is because so many people can relate to us. People can't relate to, you know, this pie in the sky, you know, happily ever after stuff. People can relate to reality. And what I'm telling you in real terms is you can be married to your soulmate. You can have the marriage of your dreams. And you can have a marriage that 40 years later, 50 years later, you're still in love with your best friend. And that's the good news. Even if you're not the same, even if you've gone through problems, even if you've been on the brink of divorce or whatever. And here are the three choices that make that happen. Number one, choice of being soulmates is empathy. Empathy. The word empathy means understanding and entering into another person's feelings. Empathy. You fall in love because of empathy. Karen and I uh, went to Three Dog Night concert and I worked at Scrub It Up Car Wash and I drove a 1964 Dynamic 88 Oldsmobile that my mother had wrecked. It was wrecked on the passenger side, all the way down the passenger side, it was wrecked. And then she gave it to me to drive. And she had done the same for my older two brothers. All of us drove cars my mother had wrecked. It was the gift that kept on giving. And so when I picked Karen up that night to go to the concert, I washed my car um, and I pulled up on the good side of the car. And everywhere we went all night, I parked where she could never see the bad side of the car. Isn't that kind of the way we do it? And all, when I was driving that first night, I just thought, I want to drive in a way that makes her happy. See, empathy puts me in you. I wonder how this makes you feel. I wonder what I'm saying right now makes you feel. I wonder what it's like to be married to me. I wonder what I could do right now to make you feel better about me and about us. See, empathy, we have an ability that animals don't have. I've never met this man right here. This man is standing in front of me right now. I've never met this man before, but I can choose right now to care about him. Animals can't do that. Only humans can make the choice to be empathetic. When we fall in love, we are highly emotionally focused and totally empathetic. I'm constantly wondering how I'm making you feel. I'm constantly worried about your well-being. I'm constantly monitoring the well-being and putting myself in your shoes and thinking, would she like this cologne or this cologne? Should I say this or should I say this? And then you secure the relationship and then you become completely insensitive and you're no longer empathetic. And you're hurting each other's feelings, you're, you're making each other mad, you're irritating each other, and you say, wait just a minute, I don't like that. And you say, so? 
I was just a total idiot in our marriage. I was a male chauvinist pig. I worked all the time. I golfed all the time. Karen complained all the time, and I didn't care. And I told her I didn't care. And the night that we almost divorced is when she challenged me on playing golf so much and things like that, and the Lord corrected me uh, in the strongest way. And Karen had been praying for me, and it worked. And the Lord broke through my heart, and I realized what a jerk I had been. And I told Karen that I was sorry. And I had just, I had just broken her heart. I mean, I, I had said things to her that devastated her. I was not a good person. And the next day I woke up, we were out of love and we were out of like. We had no emotions. If you, we were numb, we had fought so much. So we, we had no starting place except for choices. This is the most important thing I'll say in this message. Your soul is the seat of your will and your emotions. And your will must rule over your emotions. Your emotions can't rule over your will. The most painful life is a person ruled by their emotions. I woke up and my emotions told me to leave that relationship and go find somebody else. My emotions, I was out of love with Karen. I was no longer attracted to her the way I was before. But out of my will, I made a choice that said, I'm going to care about her and I'm going to be a good husband to her. And I woke up that next morning thinking, I wonder what it's like to be married to me. And I wonder what I could do to make her feel better. And I began to be empathetic. To this day, I'm empathetic. Five minutes of empathy a day will resurrect a dead marriage. You just sit for five minutes and say to yourself, I wonder what it's like to be married to me. I wonder what it's like to be on the other end of this marriage and depend on me to get your needs met. I wonder what it's like to be on the other end of my mouth. I wonder what it's like to wait for me for affection or for praise or affirmation. It's, it's, it's kind of called shock therapy. And then you realize when you put yourself in that person's shoes, how much more you could do to improve the relationship. It's how you fell in love and it's how you fall back in love. Empathy is the number one choice. Number two choice of being soulmates is generosity. My soulmate cares about me and my soulmate's generous. That's how you fall in love. You care, you focus on each other and you give. Whatever's needed, you give into the relationship. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. Isn't it interesting that generosity flows out of your soul? It's a, it's a choice. The generous soul will be made rich. Well, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Those are interesting words. The word treasure in the Greek language is the word thesaurus. Have you ever heard of a thesaurus? That's a treasure chest of words. That's where we go to find words. The word treasure, the word thesaurus mean, doesn't mean treasure. It means a treasure chest. It means a repository. Jesus said, wherever your repository is, wherever you're putting the treasures of your life, there your heart will be also. Well, the word heart in the Greek language is the word cardia, where we get our word cardiac, but it means the seat of your uh, passions, the seat of your emotions. Jesus said, wherever you're investing the best of your life, your passion is going to be in that area. Well, I golfed all day and worked all day and came home tired, wanting Karen to meet my needs. Well, our marriage was a disaster. The night that I repented to Karen and our marriage began to change, I hung up my golf clubs. I said, Karen, I'm hanging up my golf clubs. I'm not going to play golf anymore. We were out of love. And uh, Karen knew that I meant business when I stopped golfing. And so 
The next day I woke up and I started giving to her what I was giving to golf. The time and energy that I was giving to golf, I began to give to her. And it resurrected our relationship. We fell deeply in love like we are to this day. And several years later, Karen walked up to me one day and said, why don't you go play golf? And I said, excuse me, I think I just heard Jesus. (laughs) Karen didn't mind if I played golf. She just minded that I gave golf what I used to give her. If you spend your time at work all the time, you're going to be passionate about work and not about your marriage. If you give your best to the world, you're going to have a hard time loving Jesus and keeping your focus on Jesus. By the way, givers don't backslide. It's impossible to separate your treasure from your passion. It's impossible. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The context there was money, mammon. He said, you can't serve God in mammon. So if you're a worldly person, you'll always struggle with serving God. But when you give the first of your time, talent, and treasure to God, you'll never struggle and you'll never backslide. I've never seen a giver backslide. When you give the first, except for Jesus, when you give the first of your life to your marriage, you'll stay in love. Because wherever you're investing the treasures of your life, your passion will always be there. We fall out of love because we become stingy and selfish. Listen, have you ever heard the law of sowing and reaping? You know, don't be deceived, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. You don't just reap what you sow, you reap where you sow. When you sow into your marriage, you reap from your marriage. But when you're sowing somewhere else, you're going to reap it over there. I was sowing into golf and work, and that's where my harvest was, and that's where my passion was. And out of my will, I made a choice that said, from this point forward, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to start giving to my marriage. I choose to give to my marriage, and it resurrected our passions and our love for each other. Number three choice of being a soulmate is priority. My soulmate cares about me, they give to me, and they make me first. That's what makes us soulmates. Those three choices are what create the bond of our souls. Genesis 2, 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is so important that you have to reprioritize your mother and father who are the most important relationship in your life before you get married. The first thing God ever said about marriage was it has to be first. Before children, before work, before friends, before hobbies, before church, not before God, but before church, before everything else in real terms, not lip service, your marriage has to be first. I choose to care, I choose to give, and I choose to prioritize. And out of those three choices, we become soulmates. Do not believe the romantic misconceptions that the devil has, that there's only one person for you out there somewhere that you've got to be lucky enough to find. And if you find that person, they're going to be just like you. You won't have any big problems that will always make you happy. That will break your heart and keep it broken. But here's the truth. God has a person for you. They need to be a believer, but God has a person for you. And if you share basic values and character and spirituality, you can make it in marriage and you can be soulmates with that person by simple choices that you make every day. It is not rocket science, thank God. If it did, I couldn't do it. But it is something that all of us can do just by simple choices. Even if you're on the brink of divorce, even if you don't feel anything, maybe, maybe you, feel, you feel devastated so far and you've had all these problems. Can I look back at the problems and challenges that we had in our marriage? And we thank God that the constant through all of that was the Lord Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. And that out of that, we learned how to love each other 
and to become soulmates. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Lord Jesus, I pray for a healing in any marriage that needs to be healed. I pray that if they're like us, if they can relate to our story anywhere, this campus, other campuses, that you would heal them deeply. I pray for hope where hopelessness exists right now. I pray for faith where fear and hurt exist right now. And I just pray both for singles and for married people, give us hope and give us faith to be married and to make right decisions. Maybe we need to apologize or repent to our spouse. Maybe we need to make some changes in how we're behaving and our priorities. But I just pray a blessing, God, over every marriage and over every single person looking to be married, that we would be soulmates and that we would glorify you in a marriage that puts you first. Bless this precious church and all these precious people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me be with you today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Our prayer is that it will help you to live a God-first life. For more information about Celebration Church and other available resources, please visit our website at www.celebration.org.